Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello. Welcome back to Everyday Einstein's Quick and Dirty Tips for Making Sense of Science. I'm your host, Lee Phelan, and today we're going to talk about interspecies breeding. You know, lately it seems as though every young girl's dream is to marry someone who isn't quite human. Popular culture has witnessed a flood of books and movies that deal with the results of unions between humans and things that aren't human. Vampires fathering children with humans, dogs with human eyes and emotions, and even werewolves who fall in love with half-human, half-vampire babies. Do such genetic mismatches have any hope of finding true happiness together? And if such things are possible, why hasn't the earth been overrun by half-rabbit, half-vulture monstrosities? Before we can answer these questions, let's talk a little bit about how scientists separate things into species. Historically, Scientists have used a process called taxonomy to arrange different organisms into groups and determine how they're related. For example, ancient caveman scientists might have put plants they discovered into two groups. These plants make Ungar sick, and these plants no make Ungar sick. Over time, scientists started using other characteristics to create these groups, and were delighted to discover that not only could they make more groups, but they could further divide the groups into subgroups and even subgroups within subgroups. The wild and crazy scientists continued on in this vein until pretty soon they had an entire hierarchy of classifications. Taxonomic classifications typically start with the most obvious characteristics first. For example, it's obvious that a wolf is an animal, so we would say it belongs to the animal kingdom, or more scientifically, kingdom animalia. Traditionally, taxonomic groups are named using Latin, probably to make them easier to use in magic spells. There are a couple of different taxonomic classification systems, but the most common take kingdoms and divide them into phyla. The phyla are then divided into classes, the classes are divided into orders, which are divided into families, which are divided by genus, and then finally species. Whew. Typically, when scientists refer to an organism, they do so using its genus and species names. For example, the gray wolf is a member of the Canis genus, and its species is lupus. So the scientific name for the gray wolf is Canis lupus, or C. lupus. One thing to note if you're writing down the scientific name of an organism is that the genus name is usually capitalized and then italicized. The species name follows after in lowercase. It's also common to abbreviate the genus name with just the first letter, also capitalized and italicized, followed by a period, and then the species name. Historically, these classifications were made based on physical characteristics or behaviors. However, once scientists gained the ability to sequence genomes of organisms, a whole new method of putting things into groups opened up to them. Phylogenetics is a branch of science that uses the genetic sequences of organisms to try and deduce how they are related to each other. For example, by comparing the genetic sequences of different species, scientists have determined that humans have more in common genetically with apes than they do with slugs. 
though some humans might be exceptions to that rule. Scientists can also use this information to try to figure out which species evolved from which other species, and to put them in kind of a chronological order of evolution. As with all areas of science, however, there are a couple of points of disagreement about the proper way to handle this classification. One point of contention involves just which part of an organism's genetic sequence should be used in these comparisons. Another difficulty is deciding just exactly what is a species. In other words, just how different do two organisms have to be in order to be considered different species? It's obvious that a wolf and a goldfish are different species, but what about two different kinds of mosquitoes? Well, before we go any further, we need to understand how reproduction occurs. We're just going to discuss things at the cellular level, so if you want the higher level details, go and ask your parents. When most multicellular organisms reproduce, the reproductive cell, or gamete, of one organism fuses with the reproductive cell of another organism. The cell created by this fusion is called a zygote. The zygote contains a mix of genetic information from each parent. After the zygote is formed, it starts dividing into new cells. Each of these new cells is genetically identical to the zygote, meaning that every cell of the organism will contain the same mix of genetic information from each parent. So, this holds true if the two organisms involved in the process are from the same species. But what happens if two different species are involved? Well, there are two terms that are used to refer to an organism that is a mix of two different species, hybrid and chimera. Although most people use these terms interchangeably, they have distinct meanings to scientists. A common example of a hybrid is the mule. In order to create a mule, a reproductive cell of a donkey is fused with the reproductive cell of a horse. The resulting zygote has a mix of donkey and horse DNA. Since every cell of an organism is a copy of the zygote, this means that every cell of the mule contains a mix of horse and donkey DNA. Now some hybrids occur naturally, while others are a result of human intervention. Sometimes that intervention is simply playing matchmaker, like ensuring that the organisms are in the right place at the right time while other times it involves manual intervention, such as artificial insemination of animals or the manual pollination of plants. Unlike hybrids, chimeras are organisms created by merging non-reproductive cells of two or more different organisms. For example, in 1984, scientists working at Cambridge were able to take cells from a sheep embryo and merge them with cells of a goat embryo. The organism that grew from this amalgamation was a sheep-goat chimera, or GEEP as some people refer to it. Unlike the mule, where each cell contains a mix of horse and donkey DNA, every cell in the GEEP is either a sheep cell or a goat cell. This means that parts of the animal look like a sheep and parts of it look like a goat. In fact, the name Chimera comes from a mythological creature mentioned in Homer's The Iliad, described as having in the forepart a lion, in the hinder a serpent, and in the midst a goat. So to summarize, Every cell of a hybrid is genetically identical, at least at the beginning. You know, there are mutations that can occur along the way. And each contains a mix of DNA from each of its parents. But each cell of the chimera contains the DNA of one parent or the other, but not both. An interesting side note about hybrids is that they typically don't get their own species name. A mule's proper scientific name is Equisacinus cross Equus cabalis, which means a cross between a donkey, Equus acinus, and a horse, Equus cabalis. Now, is this some form of hybrid discrimination by scientists, or is something else going on here? 
Well, actually, one of the things that most scientists agree on about the definition of a species is that organisms of the same species should be able to reproduce. So since mules, with very rare exceptions, are infertile, they are disqualified from the species name game. The reason for this infertility is typically related to chromosomal differences. Horses have 64 chromosomes, while donkeys have 62. These mismatched chromosomes tend to cause problems during meiosis, when reproductive cells are being created. Other factors that might conspire against the romance of two star-crossed organisms include differences in mating rituals, habitats, food preferences, mating times, and physical incompatibilities. These inconveniences are sometimes collectively referred to as reproductive isolation. So what about that half-vampire baby? Well, the next time you and your friends are watching a movie together where a werewolf falls in love with a vampire, you can smugly reach for the popcorn and declare, A canis lupus cross homo sapiens mating with a homo lamia? That's absurd. By the way, lamia is the closest Latin I could find to vampire. Lacking more direct evidence, I can only assume that vampires are in the same genus as humans. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Everyday Einstein's Quick and Dirty Tips for Making Sense of Science. If you like what you heard today, give us a review on iTunes or tell a friend about us. Or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash QDTEinstein. Until next time, I'm Lee Phelan with Everyday Einstein's Quick and Dirty Tips for Making Sense of Science. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.